This is Until All Are Free, a podcast by the Exodus Road. I'm your host, Preston Goff. For so many of us, and I speak for myself included, the trauma of trafficking is just unfathomable. And even in the moments that may draw us close to the issue, perhaps a conversation with a survivor or a story shared by an advocate of survivors, it's tempting to allow our imagination to think of faraway places that feel foreign to our own homes and life experiences. I grew up in the hills of the Ozark Mountains in Northwest Arkansas, and I can't imagine trafficking victims down the street from my high school or exploitation taking place at the truck stop at exit 87. But we say it often, trafficking does exist in every country and in every state in the United States. It's a prolific issue that wears many faces and we all have a role to play in affecting freedom for survivors halfway across the world and in our own cities. Jamie Beck, the president and managing attorney of Free to Thrive, is committed to doing just that. Free to Thrive provides holistic and trauma-informed legal and support services to survivors in Southern California. Jamie, I first learned about you through a mutual connection through David Zock, who, um, if you've listened to Until All Are Free, you're really familiar with David and the work that his band does um, to advocate for for victims and survivors through their their band Remedy Drive. Um, but he just had really glowing things to say about you, and I just just really honored that you uh, had agreed to come onto the podcast with us. So I want to welcome you um, and just give you a chance to kind of introduce yourself to our audience. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And um, definitely appreciate David connecting us because this is an exciting opportunity to speak to you and your listeners. So thanks for having me. And um, I can give you a little bit of background on Free to Thrive if, if you'd like. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about um, you know where you're located, um, what Free to Thrive does, who, who your client audience is, that kind of thing. Sure. So we are a San Diego-based nonprofit. Um, however, we are actually in the process of expanding our services to all of Southern California, which we're really excited about. Um, it's a, a lot of area to cover, so it'll happen over time. It won't happen all at once, but that's our, our geographic area. And, and our mission is to empower survivors of human trafficking um, by providing them with holistic and trauma-informed legal and support services. And essentially what this all means is that we provide legal services to human trafficking survivors and empower them in the legal process. That's something that really um, caught my attention when we when we first were in conversation, just because, you know, I, I feel like I've had a, a decent amount of exposure to the anti-trafficking movement and know some of the terminology, know some of the background. And yet, like the legal space and the way that legal advocacy works for survivors is something that was really foreign to me. Um, so I'm kind of curious to know, like, before we get into exactly what that means, can you tell me just a little bit about yourself and your own background? Because um, if I understand right, you actually founded Free to Thrive. Is, is that right? That's right. Yep. Um, yeah. So a little bit about my background. So I, I went to law school in San Diego. I graduated from the University of San Diego. And, you know, I, I went to law school to be a public interest lawyer. I knew that um, that access to justice um, was something really important to me of helping empower people through the legal system. And I didn't know how I would do that, but I knew that's what I wanted to do with my career as a lawyer. And then after I graduated from law school, I was very fortunate to get a federal clerkship with a judge in San Diego. 
which led to a job at a big law firm and I had student loans to pay. And so I took that job, you know, with still with this feeling of I need to be a public interest lawyer, but right now I also need to, you know, pay off my debt and and get some really good training, right? Um, So I went down that path. And while I was there, um, I very much found my way to this work. And uh, what happened was, I was working at the law firm and the way that I filled my cup, this need to, to help people is through volunteer work and pro bono work. And so I was uh, taking pro bono cases. I was volunteering with a, um, a bar association, San Diego's Feminist Bar, which is called Lawyers Club of San Diego. And Lawyers Club had a training on human trafficking. And it was, um, it was co kind of led by, prosecutors and service providers. And at the end of it, I I cornered the panelists and I said, what can the legal community do to help? And specifically, what can the feminist bar do to help? Um, Clearly, this is a feminist issue that we should be a part of. And they said, we need lawyers. We need lawyers to help survivors that, you know, the, the prosecutor said, we are prosecutors. We have these victims in our cases that have all these legal needs that we can't help them with. And they need civil lawyers to help them with their legal issues. And so that kind of started me on this path um, and I ended up taking a case, a pro bono case with a survivor and training lawyers to do this work and ultimately deciding to quit my law firm job and start this nonprofit um, almost five years ago. I'm curious to know when you think about specifically that first case, it's one thing to become passionate about it. And it's another to dedicate your career and your life towards that mission. Um, what was it that really just pulled at you in a real human way? So th- this survivor, um, you know, I, I credit her for my entire career change and, and putting me on this path. You're absolutely right. And, you know, she changed my life. Learning her story and, and getting to know her personally, it's, I just was so in awe of her as a human, of her resilience and her strength, her positivity. She is, you know, she was trafficked at 16 years old. She she escaped from her trafficker in her early 20s. And I met her while she was in a safe house and she had as well, I started as a mentor of hers before I started as her lawyer and just got to know her personally and invested in her path. Um, and then it turned out she had some legal issues that she needed help with and ended up uh, helping her with that. And through that, really getting to know her story about her trafficking. And, you know, she defies every stereotype people have about human trafficking victims. She came from a two parent household. She, um, she didn't have a lot of the vulnerabilities that we hear a lot about in this space. And her vulnerability was being a 16-year-old girl. That's it. That's how this person took advantage of her. And and she overcame this experience. And she just was so just positive and determined to to move you know, forward with her life. And I just I, I knew that there were so many other survivors like her who needed help. And you know, getting to know her and and knowing that there was this thing that I could do to help someone like her just made me feel like I have to do more. I, you know, it's not enough to just help this one person. I have to help as many as I possibly can. I'd like to hear a little bit about then, like in the midst of all of these, um, all of these realities and complications that make it difficult for survivors, um, how did Free to Thrive, how, how was it developed? How was it born? What was the initial like program and mission of it? So in terms of how it was born, um, essentially when I, so I started down this path of, you know, identifying this need, right? Saying there's nobody in San Diego providing legal services to human trafficking survivors. 
beyond immigration. I don't want to say nobody because there's some really there are some really great organizations providing immigration services, but you know, most of them are from the United States. There's a huge gap in all the other things. So I started, you know, researching, okay, well, who is doing this? What are the what are the programs look like? How do they work? How are they funded? And I spent about a year and a half uh, just doing research on uh, different nonprofits, different legal, um, like law school clinics and law firms that had these programs to identify kind of how they worked, what services they offered, how they're funded, and then developed Free to Thrive and identified funding sources for us. And when we launched the organization, and we launched in um, early summer of 2017 is, is when we started serving clients. When we launched that the organization, we really were focused on two main areas. Um, criminal vacature, which I know we're going to dive a little bit more into, of essentially helping survivors clean up their criminal records and criminal advocacy of helping survivors who have been who have some sort of open criminal case, helping advocate for them either as victims of the crime or as being charged with a crime or victim perpetrators, both, right? Um, so that's where we started. And we've definitely grown a lot since then. Yeah, yeah. We talked um, in an earlier conversation a little bit about um, that vacature law. And um, I know that has been like, really kind of a signpost of your work in um, Southern California. So I, I'm curious to know, like, I'll be, I'll be completely honest. Like I had to do a deep dive into vacature law after our conversation to really like get a full portrait of, of what it meant and what that looked like. But for the average person, like what, what are you referring to when you say vacature law? And you are not alone. Most people, in fact, I just had a case in court where the judge had never heard of vacature. So you are not alone. Most people do not know this word because it's a new, it's literally a new term in the law. So it's it's a really exciting area of the law um, and certainly one I'm very passionate about. So vacature, so, you know, mo- the term most people know is expungement of, you know, somebody has a criminal record and after the fact doing something to help them clean up that record, right? What people don't know in what I did not know as a lawyer is that at least in California, every state's different. So I can only speak about California. In California, if you have your record expunged, it shows up on your your criminal background or your rap sheet, as it's often called, as dismissed. Now, I, as a lawyer, did not know that that means expunged. And if I don't know that, that means employers and landlords and anybody else who runs a background check um, on you is going to know that your record's been expunged, which is really unfortunate for every person trying to move forward with their life, right? Um, so vacature is different than expungement. It's the same concept of it's it's a term called post-conviction relief. It's after the fact, you've served your time, you've repaid your debt to the society, and you, you, know, you want to move on. You want a clean record. The difference is that vacature is actually a complete clean slate. So what happens is this, the law says that your record has to be sealed and destroyed, which means that instead of showing up as dismissed, it doesn't show up at all. And the reason is, is it's, it's the law's way of undoing the injustice that was done to survivors. It says that if you have a nonviolent criminal record that's related to your exploitation, you shouldn't have that on your record. Um, and you're, you're right. I, I was um, deeply involved in the creation of this law. I um, with Lawyers Club advocated for this law in California, and we were successful. And that actually was that law passing. So it, it went into effect January of 2017. And that was really what catapulted me into this work because, you know, there was a need before the law went into effect for legal services for survivors. But once we had this law, there was a whole new area of law 
out there and a whole new way to help survivors where literally no one in California knew how to use it because it didn't exist until then. Um, and so I was a part of a group, a small group of lawyers around the state who learned the law, trained other lawyers on how to use it, and ultimately started a nonprofit to help survivors clean up their records using this law. Yeah, I wonder if you could just like help us kind of begin to picture how this materializes for survivors. So I don't know if you can just reflect on maybe just the overall like average clientele you work with, or even a specific story of how like the implementation of this vacature law has allowed them to to pick up their life and, and continue to move on into healing and into restoration. Um, whereas without it, that it would have been a hindrance. Absolutely. Well, I'll I'll you know I'll share with you a little bit more about this first client that I had in. What happened was, so she was my, you know, my pro bono client at my law firm. And then we passed and we passed this law and ended up bringing her on as a client at Free to Thrive. And, you know, when I first met her, the help that I gave her was helping with some open criminal cases that hadn't been resolved from when she was trafficked um, mm. because she was, she was missing court dates because she was being trafficked. So she goes up, she goes to court after she's, you know, safe and, and away from her exploiter to say, I'm, I want to clean up my record. Here I am. And she gets arrested because she has an open warrant for not showing up in court. So I get a call um, and essentially end up representing her pro bono in that case to help her clean up her record. And what ultimately she got was an expungement. Great. Her record has been expunged. And then we have this problem that I was talking about is it shows up right. as a dismissal. So she gets her GED. She graduates from the residential program she's in. She goes off to college and she starts applying for jobs. And she cannot get a job because of this criminal record. And her charges were drugs and theft. So she didn't have any prostitution charges, which I think is probably what people would most expect to see. But yeah. she was arrested for having drugs, which were her traffickers' drugs. And she was stealing things to literally take care of her basic needs because her trafficker didn't give her any of the money that he was making off of her. So she would steal just to, you know, for her most basic right. needs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And because her trafficker would want her to steal things for him, too. So when, um, you know, when I learned about the vacature of this is this area of law that we can use to help survivors, I told her, I said, I'm going to advocate for this law so that I can help you with this, you know, help you get this fresh start that you so deserve. We passed the law and I call her up and I say, you're going to be my first client. I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know how this vacature law works. It's brand new, but we're going to figure it out together and I'm going to help you. Um, and she was very patient with me as I learned <laughs> this brand new law. Um, yeah. And so I took her case and um, basically wrote out her whole story with her of what happened to her and tying together. How do those charges that she had, what do those have to do with her exploitation? How are they connected? Put that all together, submitted it to our San Diego district attorney's office and um, they agreed with us. They said, you're right. Her record should be cleared under this law. We fully support it. And we have, a very, um, a, a DA in San Diego, Summer Stefan, who is very forward thinking on these issues and, um, you know, understands exploitation and understood what we were trying to do here. So we we're fortunate that that was our, our first jurisdiction of, of a DA who gets it um, and deputy DA who worked on this. So we file it, it's unopposed, the judge grants the order. And then what that means is that she can now, once she can apply for jobs and check no on any question that says, have you ever been arrested? Have you ever been convicted of a felony? Any of those questions on an application, which even with an expungement, you still have to answer yes to. Now she can answer no to. That's so dignifying to, to just imagine to put myself in the shoes, um, which is difficult to do, but to the even the freedom of going from 
having to check yes to being able to check no. Exactly. And you know how it, it, for all of our clients, their background comes up over and over again. Every time they try to rent an apartment, every time they try to get a job, if they are trying to get credit for something, if they're trying to go back to school, any of those things, people ask about your criminal background, either in a question or they run your background. Um, And for all of them, it's, it's not just, you know, the barrier, it's the, in it's having to relive that experience and, you know, the trauma of that arrest, which was a very, you know, being arrested is a very traumatic thing on its own, set aside all the trauma that they had for being trafficked. The arrest was traumatic. Going to jail is traumatic. Going to prison is traumatic. Many of our clients had further abuse and issues in jail or prison. So I want to talk for a second then about, you know, if I'm listening to this and I'm wondering what vacature law um, is or is not present in my own state. Um, I know you had some good resources that I just want to give a shout out to. And I also want to talk about, I know you mentioned there's a couple maybe potential laws that are in progress um, around the nation. And I'd love for you to just get a chance to, to share about that. Definitely. Um, the place that I would go first is the Survivor Reentry Project. If you just Google Survivor Reentry Project, um, it's on. It's under the umbrella of Freedom Network, which is a great nonprofit. Um, you'll find their uh, web page, which it one it has resources for survivors and for lawyers representing survivors. And if you scroll further down on the, their web page, it actually has an interactive map of the country. And this is I love this map because you can click on the different states and actually see your state's vacature law. Um, There's a ton of information on that website. One of my favorite things about this map is having watched it over the years. So when I first advocated for the vacature law, 11 states had vacature laws in the entire United States. Now there's, I think there's only five left maybe that don't have vacature laws of some kind. Um, And just this past year, Georgia and Virginia Good job, Georgia and Virginia. We're super excited for you. Just passed vacature laws. So they are where we were, you know, not too long ago of, of really just starting out on this journey of, of helping survivors uh, clean up their records. And that's all. So you said there were 10 when California passed their vacature law. And now, I mean, to look at this map, to think about the amount of growth that that's represented in what, like three to four years is mm-hmm. outstanding. That's it's so amazing. And it's a testament to advocates around the country pushing for these laws. Like these laws don't just like happen on their own. This is people just like me and so many other, you know, lawyers and advocates saying survivors need a fresh start and this is how we do it. Um, And now that we have these laws, there's like you, you referenced, there's other, there's other ways that we can help survivors. One way is to improve the vacature laws that we have. So they're not perfect. Once you start actually working with it day to day, you see that there's challenges to working with the law and um, you need to go back and make it better. So for example, a lot of states vacature laws are really limiting. For example, they only allow you to clear prostitution and not all the other types of charges. Um, in California, it's only nonviolent charges. And we have clients that come in with violent charges that are totally related to their trafficking. And in my dream world, we would we would change that law to remove the nonviolent piece. Um, and then the other thing is there's there's so many survivors who are still surveying their time. This is a post conviction law, so this is after the fact. But there are countless victims and survivors who are in jails and prisons around the country who shouldn't be there. Um, and right now in California, I am working with an incredible group of 
other um, anti-trafficking leaders and other nonprofits around the state to advocate for a law that will allow those. The, our goal is both to have the criminal justice system take their trauma and trafficking and also um, intimate partner violence into account at sentencing and, and kind of look at them as a whole person, not just you committed this crime, but here's what, what happened. Here are the, the circumstances under which you committed the crime. And then for those who've already been sentenced to be resentenced by taking into account that um, experience. So we have an author of the bill. It is in the California legislature. We It's a brand new bill. So um, in fact, that may have even changed since you and I last spoke that we now, um, it's it's been introduced in the legislature. It's working its way through. Um, really, really excited about it. But we've got a long way to go because we're at the very, very beginning of um, you know having having this become a law. Well, that, that is really encouraging to hear and something that I'll definitely um, we'll have to touch base on later. And I'd love to see how that how that um, just matures. When we think of vulnerable populations, I think um, trafficking victims would certainly fall into that group. And I'm sure that COVID has had an effect on um, their lives. And so I'd just be curious to know what you've experienced in the midst of work, walking with clients in this in this age. Your instinct is absolutely right. You know, our, our clients were vulnerable before they were trafficked, they're vulnerable after they're trafficked. And our, our client population ranges from, you know, people who are, you know, well past their exploitation and really thriving members of our community um, to people who are either recently um, escaped or out of the life or just still kind of building their life back up from after their exploitation. And clients all along that spectrum have had so many challenges um, since the outbreak of COVID. We have clients who, you know, among their legal needs, things that have increased, um, domestic violence has increased, you know, globally. And we certainly have seen that reflected in our clients. So we've had an increased need for domestic violence restraining orders, um, child custody issues for any anybody who's co-parenting with an, a former spouse or a um, you know parent of their child. The, the challenges of that are presented by COVID to co-parent with somebody are, are exacerbated, right? So we've had a lot of child custody issues that have come up that our clients need assistance with. Um, also, we've had a number of clients be evicted from where they live. So we've had a lot of landlord-tenant issues that have come up as well in um, among a whole lot of other needs that have arisen. Yeah, you know, when I think about, I think about the first story that you shared about the very first client you walked with, um, and you didn't mention, but I'm assuming that represents a long journey, a long time spent walking with her. Um, and any time that you walk alongside someone who um, has experienced severe trauma or um, specifically like survivors of trafficking, you know, it, it we're, we're all human beings. It's, it's so multifaceted. Our needs are multifaceted. There's so many factors that influence um, our ability to heal and be restored. And so I think like that must mean that the work that you guys do, it, I can imagine is only being broadened in the midst of COVID. Is, is that right? Is that a fair assumption? Absolutely. Um, and I, I love that you you are saying walk with them because that's exactly what we talk about at Free to Thrive of, of you know, walking alongside our clients, right? Um, and yeah, I, the, you know, the legal needs have increased. So we may have been helping them with one legal need and then all of a sudden, you know, an eviction or um, a domestic violence incident happened. Um, but beyond that, their non-legal needs have really expanded. So we've always been holistic. We've always 
um, you know, identified our clients' non-legal needs and connected them to services and support, whether it's education, housing, mental health, um, case management, whatever we can do to empower and support them. All of those needs have been exacerbated by COVID. Um, among, you know, so many, you know, I, one I failed to mention before is mental health. I mean, everybody is struggling. We've, we've experienced a societal trauma, um, a number of societal traumas, frankly, um, th- this past year. And our clients ha- are trauma survivors. So, you know, they're, they're struggling on an even deeper level. Um, if you have severe PTSD, isolation can be extremely difficult. Um, it's difficult for anybody, but it's even more difficult for somebody with severe PTSD or somebody with depression or anxiety or bipolar disorder. And our clients have all many of the many of our clients have one or more of those diagnoses. So um, you know, we've been doing everything we can to support their mental health and wellness. As you are specifically like trying to resource a very specific niche, um, which would be like other um, people in the legal field, what is Free to Thrive doing to help bring education and training and empowerment in that space? In terms of education, we, you know, one of the the great uh, silver linings of COVID for us has been that, you know, prior to COVID, we were already doing a lot of community education, but mostly on a local level or I was traveling somewhere to train people um, in this internet age that we're in <laughs> where we can't travel. Um, we actually can reach so many more people. So in April of 2020, we launched our virtual training program and um, have trained in the last year over 500 people from over 30 states and four countries. And that's incredible that we've been able to reach such a broader audience. Um, all of our trainings are available on our website at freetothrive.org. Um, so anybody, whether it's a lawyer or non-lawyer who's interested in learning more, can can um, participate in our trainings. And we also offer some programs for survivors that are totally virtual and open to anybody. So we have, for example, just um, actually later today, we have our next Financial Empowerment Academy, which is specifically helping survivors become financially independent and self-sufficient. And um, we launched, you know, we launched it in person and then took it virtual when when COVID hit. And we've been able to reach a broader audience. We actually have people from six state reg- six states registered for today's training, which we're really excited about. Um, and then we also have mindfulness meditation that's open to all survivors. Um, and that's, uh, you know, anybody from anywhere can participate. So that's another kind of virtual thing that we're offering. And then we have a separate mindfulness meditation for um service providers, for anybody supporting survivors so that, um, you know, this work is really hard um, and it can take a toll. And so our gift, um, something that we want to give back to the anti-trafficking community and the service community in general is to offer these um, mindfulness meditations. Yeah, I love that. I It, it strikes me that that is like literally um, walking out what you just said, which is that education is power. Um, and I, I just love the fact that you guys have like in the age of COVID pivoted um, found a way to like bring education and trainings online and to create this like um, just real like strong virtual resource for people, whether it's advocates of survivors, survivors themselves, people in the legal space. Um, so I just want to make sure that the audience um, heard that. Um, there's so many rich resources available on your website, which is freetothrive.org. And we'll um, just continue to remind them to, to go there. You did just touch on something that I think is um 
is a question that I, I want to ask you personally, which is in in the midst of this work, how do you stay encouraged in the midst of a traumatic year on a lot of fronts for people all around the country? How do you stay encouraged in the work? That's a really good question. Um, there's two things that, that keep me grounded and encouraged. Um, certainly our, our clients, number one, absolutely. I mean, like I said, the the survivor who inspired me to do this work was so positive and so resilient. And, you know, I always think, you know, if our clients can get through everything that they've experienced and overcome it, you know, so can I, you know, there's, there's nothing that, that the world can throw at me that I can't overcome. And, you know, I certainly had my share of panic attacks at the beginning of COVID of how are we going to make it? What are, you know, how are we going to fundraise? How are we going to keep it going? What if I have to lay off staff? We've been building this organization, um, and trying to to be able to serve our clients and how are we going to make this work? And, um, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of the resilience of our clients and just, you know, just keep pushing, keep, um, you know, stay grounded and, and practice gratitude. Um, I, I started a gratitude practice at the beginning of COVID and it's definitely something that's kept me going. Um, and then our team, the, the people that, you know, I believe that, you know, people come into your life for a reason and, that the universe sends people to you to help you on your path. And the people that are part of our incredible team of staff, board members, interns, volunteers are just the most amazing humans. Um, and I just feel incredibly grateful for these people who've been sent to help Free to Thrive uh, help and support our clients. And they're so positive. They you know, some on difficult days, they pick me up and on difficult days for them, I pick them up and we really do lift one another up and, and support each other through, you know, whatever, whatever comes our way. And, you know, sometimes it's difficult things in our personal lives. Sometimes it's difficult cases, um, but we're there for each other and um, it really feels like a family. Well, there's one last question I wanted to ask you, um, which is this, um, when we, when we think about just the space of anti-trafficking and for people who um, are are part of it, there's a lot of conversation around language and the language that we use and the way that that um, brings di dignity to survivors or removes dignity from survivors. Um, and I think specifically as someone who um, has walked so closely with with survivors, I'd love to just hear a little bit from you on like how can we be intentional with our language um, when we talk about things like rescue? Like, is how do you feel about the word rescue? How do you what are, what are the some of the ways that we can be more intentional with the, with our language as we're advocating for survivors of trafficking? That's such an important question. Um, specifically with respect to rescue, I don't use that word. I I you've heard. I think I used it once today, but specifically saying people thought these children are rescued, but actually they were arrested. Um, but there is no such thing as rescuing in this space. You cannot rescue someone. Um, it's one of my clients. I, I saw her give a training at a national conference specifically on this concept of there is no such thing as rescuing a human trafficking survivor. Someone has to make the conscious decision to leave that life or to escape from their trafficker, but you cannot rescue them. You, if somebody tries to rescue even kids who are being exploited, what happens, what happens when we do that? They go back to their trafficker. They have to make the conscious decision to walk away, which is really hard to do when you've been brainwashed and manipulated by somebody. Um, so that's a term that, you know, I think we in the space need to be very mindful of um, empowering or, you know, supporting, but not rescuing because there just isn't such a thing. Um, 
other kind of terms in the space that kind of, um, you know, that I either avoid or am uncomfortable with. I mean, so there's a, a whole lot of insinuation that comes with the term prostitute or prostitution or prostituted. Prostitution is a crime. Um, so if you label somebody a prostitute, you are immediately labeling them a criminal and taking away their dignity as a human. Um, so we don't use that term. The only time ever at Free to Thrive we use that term is if we are literally looking at a client's criminal record and saying, okay, when you were charged with the crime of prostitution, can you tell us about what was happening at that time? Um, we would never refer to a client as a prostitute or one. I've actually heard people say the word hooker, which makes my skin crawl. Um, it is a very outdated word for prostitute that is even more offensive. Um, and it comes with so much stigma to it, right? Um, and other terms, so one term that we use a lot in this space is the life, the life, the game. Um, that's a street term that often those who are in the world of human trafficking use to refer to what they're doing. And I was in a meeting once with a client and I said, when you were in the life and she stopped me and she said, um, it's not a life, don't call it that. And what that moment taught me is And if you're ever in a situation where you say something to a survivor and they're offended by the terms that you use, you know, we're all humans. We're going to try really hard. I think anybody in this space is well-intended, but it doesn't mean we're always going to get it right. And I think just being really humble and saying, you know, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. I won't use that term again. Um, or what term would you prefer me to use um, is, you know, a really good way to approach right. it. Yeah. Help me. Help. Yeah. And just say, and just, be, and even starting a conversation saying, you know, I may not always use the right term. So please correct me if I say something that you don't like the term or you find offensive, because I definitely don't ever want to do that. Um, but in that situation, it made me realize how even terms that I hear used over and over again by survivors, you know, one survivor to the next is going to look at that term very differently. So it's really important that you are very mindful when working with people of what terminology they want you to use. Um, specifically for us, especially when we're talking about a client's trafficker. Some clients do not like, want to use, or identify their exploiter as their trafficker. So we ask them, how do you want us to refer to this person? Do you want us to call them your trafficker, your exploiter, your boyfriend, your ex, your pimp? You know, what do you want to call them? Um, do you not want us to refer to them at all? Um, and just find something that they're comfortable with so that we can still learn their story and help them in their case, but not do so in a way that's traumatizing or triggering to them. Um, and with, you know, with any terminology of just, you know, working with the, you know, working with people to make sure that you understand the terms in this space, which terms should and shouldn't be used and how best to use them. And one other thing is also, they may use a lot of terms that you've never heard of. When I first started this work, there were so many street terms that I was like, I have no idea what she's talking about. Um, and so it's okay to stop someone and say, oh, can you can you explain that to me? What's a bottom? Um, I don't know what that means. So, you know, actually, it, you know, it's okay to not know the terms, just um, have someone explain them to you. Um, there's an entire vocabulary in this space. In fact, there's a whole like uh, emoji vocabulary that I don't know anything about, but there's a, a whole world of emojis that um, that are used in, in this world that certain emojis mean certain things. Wow, yeah. Well, Jamie, th thanks for that. And um, I, I just want to reiterate, I'm so encouraged by the work of Free to Thrive and um, by your personal um, just commitment to this path and um, to the ways that you, you've you been instrumental in helping to, to shift um, law and mindset and um, 
preconceived notions and and all of those things that are wrapped up in walking alongside survivors. Um, so if you're if you're interested in learning more about Free to Thrive, I would encourage you go to their website, freetothrive.org, support them, follow them, donate to them, and um, and then become educated yourself and, and find out how you can, you can, in similar ways, become an advocate in your own state, your own region. Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for hosting this podcast. And thank you to everybody for listening and learning more about this issue and, and about our work. I, I really genuinely appreciate it. I want to make you aware of one last resource available to you. Trafficwatch.org is an award-winning web experience developed by the Exodus Road. It's designed to be an engaging way for you to learn the facts about human trafficking, to engage with real stories of trafficking survivors in the U.S. and abroad, and then to take action with others in this fight against trafficking. It's a beautiful, sobering, and inspiring site that I know you'll love. Visit it today at trafficwatch.org. Until All Are Free is a podcast produced by The Exodus Road, a nonprofit dedicated to the strategic fight against trafficking. The podcast is hosted by me, Preston Goff, and the music you've heard on the intro and outro of this piece was produced and generously donated by City of Sound. If you want to support the podcast, the best way you can do so is by subscribing on your favorite platform. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I would love for you to take a moment to leave us a review. It really helps. 